hope you had a good Thanksgiving. It looks like we have some uh, visitors here and some of our college students are still around after uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Lauren and I got to go down to uh, Louisiana for Thanksgiving, so we were pretty happy for uh, 75 degree weather all week. I wore uh, shorts and a t-shirt on Thanksgiving, so you can't get better than that. But uh, it's amazing that 2019 is already over, that we're already into uh, December, and we're beginning this month where we're taken out of our normal routines, and we take some extra time to be with people we care about. This is a season where uh, many of us are focused on giving. We'll have an opportunity to do that a little more today because it's Mission Sunday. There's opportunities, um, lots of opportunities to help our, our neighbors during this cold season. Uh, we just got through this season uh, of giving for the Feast of Plenty where we got 58 bags of groceries and some other uh, things that they needed for that meal on Thanksgiving Day and it sounds like it was a uh, tremendous success and this is also a time where um, we take a step back and we reflect on where we've been what we've done in 2019 what we'd rather do in 2020 some of us mourn during this season the holidays uh, can be a difficult time where we remember family that's no longer here others rejoice we pull the family that we do have a little bit closer and still others take these last few weeks to reflect on where we are the bottom line is this is a unique season people are more open right now than really any other time in the year people are hurting they need our compassion they need our support they're reflective on what needs to change in their lives and for many they are focused on their faith so the holidays they provide a unique chance to get out of our normal routines and serve our neighbors physically and spiritually just like christ commanded his disciples including us to do and that's part of what we need to do to bear fruit for god we should give thanks to him for providing this opportunity and to share the gospel this holiday season we need to transition all of these organic conversations that are already happening about our faith to talk about our savior people they may be talking about spiritual things this season right we see it all around us but that doesn't mean that they know jesus yet at thanksgiving uh we probably all gave thanks around the table right but that doesn't mean everyone sitting there knew that through christ we can give thanks in all circumstances because he frees us from the burden of sin at christmas uh, we see nativity scenes all throughout our neighborhoods and even in public buildings now where um, we see the, the story of Christ's birth laid out for us. But that doesn't mean that people have drawn the line between that baby and a manger to the crucified Savior on a cross. At New Year's, people may resolve to have a clean slate, but that doesn't mean that they know that the only true clean slate can only come through the waters of baptism. This month, we are going to talk about how we connect those dots, how we draw the line between the beginning of the story to the end, telling the whole story of Christ from the beginning of time to what will be the end of it. And that is what we'll see John does, as Aaron read for us in John chapter 1. He takes the story of creation and connects it with our Savior on the cross. He starts out the story of Jesus by saying, And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him 
nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You know, structurally and grammatically here, this is what God's word states clearly. Jesus continued to exist before time. He had a continuous, intimate relationship with God the Father, and that relationship included even the creation of our earth. John, he uses this unique technique in literature where uh, he states a, a positive proclamation first. All things came into being through him, the word, and then immediately he restates that proclamation negatively in order to achieve em emphasis. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus, he was not sitting idly by before he made his appearance in the flesh. Jesus was the very cause and source of everything we know, all life and all activity. Psalm uh, 33.6, it tells us, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And John 1 tells us uh, who the word is. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Amar is what, that's the word that is used in Genesis 1 over and over. Verse 3, then God spoke, Amar, let there be light, and there was light. Verses 6 through 7, then God said, Amar, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and it separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above, and it was so. Verse 9, then God said, or spoke, Amar, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and it did. Then God said in verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the, from the night, and it was so. Verse 20, then God said, and I'll paraphrase, let there be every kind of fish and fowl and creeping thing, and it happened. Verses 26 through 27, then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It was speaking that created all things. Through the word, all things were made. And it was the word that, made, that was made into flesh to bring grace and truth. That was what made all things. Each of the gospel writers, they introduce Jesus a little differently. Matthew starts uh, with a genealogy, right? Tracing the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Mark jumps into the story with John the Baptist. Luke focuses on the birth, and those are the synoptic gospels, meaning they, they describe Jesus in essentially the same way. But John goes even further here to a time before creation, 
where Jesus was there, the same one who was laid in a manger, the same one who was crucified on the cross was there at the beginning of eternity. He was the instrument to make everything we see around us. And that is the gospel. That is the good news according to John. He ties the the story of Jesus all the way from Genesis to the second century and opens our eyes to a Savior who's been involved with mankind far longer than the 33 years he was on earth. We're used to Jesus in the time of the Gospels. His uh, being made into flesh, his parables, the miracles, uh, the interactions with the disciples. If we've been um, with the church, if we've been studying our Bibles, we know about the betrayal of Jesus, his suffering and death on the cross, followed by his resurrection. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about that. But what about before he was born? What about this time before he was laid in a manger? You know, my hope is that as we connect the dots between the beginning and the end of the story of the Bible, we'll grow in our understanding and our, our appreciation of who Jesus is to the fullest degree. And that this will lead us to an even greater commitment to love and to worship God with everything we have because knowing who Jesus is has to change us. It has to, uh, the more we get to know him, the more our lives have to change. So today we look at Jesus in creation and we see hints in the gospels of, of the authority of Jesus over creation. Jesus, uh, he was uh, calling or the storm, Jesus enabling Peter to walk on the water, Jesus impacting human creation by healing the sick and raising the dead. Um, we see Jesus talking to the religious leaders of his day. He, he talked to them about their uh, hypocrisy, talked to them about himself. And when he talked about himself, he made what amounted to a much bolder claim than saying, I am divine. We see Jesus using for himself the very name that God the Father gave Moses on the occasion of being asked for a name. And while he was there in the burning bush, what did he tell Moses he was? I am. And in John chapter 8, Jesus tells the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. You know, we see Jesus in the Gospels talking about him being one with the Father. And in case we miss the reference, we see in response to the religious leaders uh, around him, they were pretty angry about this. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew what Jesus was implying, who he was saying he was. He was and is explicitly claiming to be equal with God. So there's hints in the New Testament about Jesus, both in his words and in his actions, that he's connected to creation, all of creation, in a, a very special way. But what part did Jesus have to play in creation? Before he was in the flesh, what was Jesus doing? You know, Colossians 1, he gives us some good insights. Paul does there, and it talks about who Jesus is and, and who he has always been. Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created uh, through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, and who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Excuse me, I 
Got messed up on the slides. Then in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know, this gives us insight that Jesus, or into Jesus that the gospel strongly hint at before, but Paul lays it out pretty clearly for us. Jesus is the earthly image of God. And when we want to know what is God like? Who is God like? What does God look like? We can look at Jesus. All of the attributes of God were held in Jesus. In him, we get a perfect picture of the nature and the character of God. The Greek word prototokos, which is translated as firstborn here in Colossians, uh, it can refer to different things. It could refer either to something or someone that's first, firstborn, that's what, how we translate it, uh, like a firstborn child, or it could refer to someone who is preeminent in rank, above the others. It could refer um, to something that, that is greater, and it all depends on the context. But here, it means that Jesus, he wasn't just first, but he is the greatest. He is preeminent. He surpasses all others, more important and more powerful than all others. And John three sixteen through 17 tells me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the King James Version appropriately translates this as his only begotten son, which is important for us because God, he doesn't just have an only son. He doesn't just have one son. Romans gives me the assurance that when I received the Holy Spirit, I too was adopted to sonship. I am now a child of God. And that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. You know, this all-powerful creator cares about me. I must be like a, a grain of sand on the beach to him, and yet he cared enough. He loved me enough to adopt me to be his son. Yes, Jesus is greater, but I am in the family as well. He loves me enough to, that he wants to give me the strength and the patience to weather the storms of my life so I can be perfect and complete. God loves me, but that love, it can't be a one-way street. John, it gives us in chapter 3 this spectacular hope of eternal life, but it also comes with a warning. Starting in verse 18, John records, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You know, God, he has extended true love to me, but I, I have to believe and I have to act in response to that love to receive its blessings. Light has come into the world through Christ. We can choose to live in the light and in the truth or die in the dark and in lies. Jesus is the agent of creation. He, in him, everything, and I mean everything, was created. He is before all things. You know, that further explains this idea of being preeminent, greater, the best. All things hold together in him. Hebrews 1.3 expresses this important point as well. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, all of 
the fine and intricate details in this creation that we can see, that is cause, that Jesus was the instrument of all those things, sustaining the universe. That's the work of Jesus. So yes, Jesus is the creator God. Everything that has been made was made through Jesus, who is the agent of creation. And it gives us a glimpse into why he is so worthy of our worship, why he's so worthy of our adoration, why he's so worthy to be followed, to base our life upon. All of the fine and intricate details that sustain our lives, that give us purpose, that's all because of Christ. So as we worship Jesus, we consciously connect with the one who controls everything in nature and controls my creation itself. According to Paul, it says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is our head. He is the first to have been raised from the dead by his own power. Why? So that in everything he will have and be known to have the supremacy. It helps us to understand who we are and why we're here and what we're about as a people of God. We are the ones for whom Jesus died, and not only us, but all who have trusted and will come to trust in the saving work on the cross. God the Father, he had the fullness of dwell in Jesus. And God is reconciling, he's fixing every broken thing through Jesus by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. And next week, we'll look at why the sacrifice of Jesus was so incredibly important and how the system of blood sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament prepared the way for us to understand the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. In Jesus, God He fixes, he created, but he's still fixing every broken thing. There's broken things in me. There are impure things in me. And my hope and our hope for healing is in Jesus, who includes uh, you and me and his reconciling work that's ongoing. So that's just a glimpse from the New Testament about Jesus' role in creation and Jesus' power to heal right now to deliver and to make all things new. So let's look at a few passages from the Old Testament that help us to understand Jesus and creation. In the first book of our canon, Genesis, we see the first two accounts of the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God creates light and sees that it's good. And then God creates and separates the waters and separates there and creates the seas. And then God creates the earth and vegetation and plants and trees and light. And he creates living creatures in the sea and birds of the air and animals on earth. And after all of that, he is pleased and God saw that it was good. And then in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And the us that makes mankind is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. As Colossians helps us to understand, Jesus is the author 
of all things, the agent of creation in this mystery about the, the communal nature of God is revealed extremely early in the Bible, in the first chapter. So we know this, but why does it matter? Why does it matter that God in Christ, God the Son, was involved in my very existence, my creation? Well, first, it tells us something important about ourselves. God says, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So in the image of Jesus, humanity was made. In the image of God, we were made. If we stop to think about it, that really matters. It throws under the bus any idea that we are worthless. We are created in the image of God. That's why we deserve dignity. That's why we deserve respect. We know that all are made in the, the image of God, and that alone gives us reason and motive to treat everyone with kindness and respect, even including ourselves. We have to learn to treat ourselves well because we are created in the image of God. If we are to honor the God who made us, we have to understand our value. Second, it shows us why Jesus is truly worthy of our worship. He, he's not just a, a man who came with a worthwhile philosophy. He is God himself. You know, when we see what he did in creation, we, we reflect on what he's still doing for us today, sustaining life and giving each of us breath every morning, providing for our basic needs and caring about uh, injustice and inspiring us to pursue justice and forgiving and embracing, uh, giving us peace and dwelling within us, transforming our lives and altering and improving the direction of our lives. We look forward to the fulfillment of something even greater, the promises that he has made for us in the future. We've seen his faithfulness right now. We've seen his power right now. We've seen that he can create us, he can create life, and he can sustain it too. We know that our God, Jesus, will do what he says he'll do. No matter how much chaos reigns on in our lives, we can trust in this creator. Philippians 1, 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus began something great in us. God began something great in us. He created us in his image, and he will keep working on us until the day that Christ returns. Do you believe that? And we need to believe that if we are really going to move forward, we need to believe in the power of Christ, that Jesus will complete every good thing that he has begun in you. And for that, he is truly worthy of our worship. Finally, Jesus being the eternal word who is there from the beginning, that gives us a tangible foundation for our hope. Colossians 2 sums up our hope and the reason why we need to develop it and maintain this razor-sharp focus on worshiping Jesus. And this is important uh, for every last one of us. He says in verse 8 of Colossians 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. We are all warned against being deceived by being taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. And Paul tells us how we defend ourselves in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, 
and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Root yourself in Christ. And as John puts it, that means rooting yourself in the Word. That's how you establish yourself in the faith. That's a real foundation, a tangible foundation for us to hold on to. If we root ourselves in this book, we will have a strong foundation because the Word was there from the beginning. Jesus told us, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. We can trust the words of Jesus. We can make them our foundation because it was through him that we were made. He was there from the beginning. He knows every last inch of us. And He is an authoritative and tangible foundation for us. If you see uh, a leaf blowing down the street, you know that leaf, it's not blowing there by its own power. It's not moving by its own power. It's not moving because it just decided to. You know that wind caused the leaf to move. Wind demonstrates a power greater than that of the leaf. And we should recognize that there is a power inside of us greater than us, preeminent over us, that's greater than me. Nature exists because a power exists greater than it. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, meaning the creatures, are without excuse. Jesus, he exercised his creative power, his power over creation, so that we would know and recognize the power and the existence of God. We read about uh, another powerful proclamation in Hebrews 11:3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared, having been formed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. God created so we would know he's there. We still have uh, seasons of the year today. We still have an earth that exists. The sun still shines. The, the stars and the moon, they still shine. We still experience morning and night and light. Life still comes into this world. Plants still grow because God is there. He is before all things and in him, he holds all things together according to Colossians 1.17. And it will continue until he commands it to stop. That is the power of Jesus. The same son who was born to a virgin and laid in a manger and the same son who was crucified for our sins. Through him, we can know everything we need to know. Even our very bodies were created and it will be by his return that all those things go away. I want to read to finish off in 2 Peter 3. It says, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they, or for this, they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know, the word which created also has the power to destroy that which he created. And one day he will destroy all the ungodly when he says so. This world 
belongs to God because he accomplished it through the word and we exist for him and through him. God provides the evidence we need so that we can know and worship him. That he has the power to create, that he has the power to save and redeem and recreate and renew. God utilized the power of the Son to create the world and everything in it. And then the Son came into this very world he created in order to become the Savior that would receive us. You know, the fact that Jesus is God, that he creates and that he gives life should cause us to know him better. Jesus comes in the power of the creation. He comes with the power of God's written word. And according to John 1, he came in the flesh to die for sinners. That is what makes our lives valuable. We were created in the image of the creator. We praise him for that and we root ourselves in Jesus so that he can sustain our lives for eternity. If you're ready to put your faith in the one who has been here from the beginning, the same one who came in the flesh to die so that we could have hope, now's the time to come to the front of the room.